Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. Welcome to this special episode of Mindship Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clint Haycock. I'm bringing you a really special episode. This is a timely discussion. I reached out just the other day to my good friend, Peter Montgomery, who works at the Right Wing Watch. And we're going to be taking a look at this issue of what we call the Texas Taliban, the Texas abortion law. And we just did this recording a couple days ago, and we did that before it actually went to the Supreme Court hearing. I'm doing this introduction on the 3rd of November, and it's just gone to the Supreme Court. And it's very interesting because, of course, as we discussed in this episode, 12 other states have what they call trigger laws, which means if the Supreme Court upholds this law and allows it, which they already have, then 12 other states, that's going to trigger 12 other states to pass similar sort of draconian abortion laws. And it's really interesting here, reading this article from the BBC, there's an interesting development where Brett Kavanaugh flagged up something, and the article from the BBC says, quote, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, a Donald Trump appointee, said it seemed that Texas had exploited a legal loophole. He theorized that if the law is allowed to stand, liberal-leaning states may be able to issue their own restrictions on matters like gun rights. Liberal Justice Alina Kagan told lawyers for Texas that when the Supreme Court made abortion legal across the U.S. in 1973, of course, talking about Roe versus Wade, she said, no state dreamed of trying to bypass a federal ruling. Echoing Judge Kavanaugh, she said that if SB 8, Senate Bill 8, which is the Texas abortion law, if that were allowed to stand, it would lead to other states enacting laws that clash with federal laws. And that's the 12 trigger laws that these other states are going to pass. And she said, quote, guns, same-sex marriage, religious rights, whatever you don't like, go ahead, she said. Another Trump appointee, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, also questioned whether the Texas law had been written to avoid proper review in the courts. However, the article says, the conservative justices seemed less inclined to support the Department of Justice's right to sue the state over the law, end quote, according to the BBC. So this is a very much a landmark case. It's going to be very fascinating to see what happens when these other states, if this law is upheld, pass these trigger laws. And this is the the end game of the Christian right, as we'll talk about in a minute on this episode with Peter Montgomery. I just wanted to mention really quick a couple of things that are coming up in the pipeline. The next episode that's coming out is a chat that I had the other day with Dr. Josie McSkimming from Sydney, Australia. That's coming out very soon. Also, did you catch my guest appearance on the Seth Andrews the Thinking Atheist podcast. We talked about Dominion Theology. So if you haven't heard that conversation, I was very honored to be featured as a guest on The Thinking Atheist with Seth Andrews. And then we've got some really cool stuff happening with Frank Schaefer. If you head over to his Facebook page, you will see it's been posted up just the other day. The conversation, the interview that a group of us did last summer about his book, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy. That is now up on his Facebook page, and I'm going to upload our MindShift Zoom call that we had just the other week with Frank on my Facebook page, 
and I'm going to be interviewing him on the 15th of November for his Facebook page. So we're trying to help Frank get his book out there. You can buy it now on Amazon, leave a review for it. That would be super helpful. So really, really cool stuff coming up with Frank Schaefer as we're trying to help get his book promoted. One last thing I wanted to mention too was a thank you to the latest member of the Mindship Podcast Patreon community, Barahi Robinson. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter at $10 a month level. In fact, we were chatting the other day. I was going to send her a free Mindship Podcast t-shirt. Well, she turned around and bought it herself. So before I could send it to her, she'd already bought it and paid for it. So She's got herself a Mindship Podcast t-shirt that she bought. So thank you very much for your support. All right, let's get on into this conversation with Peter Montgomery from the Right Wing Watch as we take a deep dive into this issue of the Texas Taliban, the Texas abortion law, and what it means if it passes. I'm so happy to welcome back returning guest, Peter Montgomery of the Right Wing Watch. So thanks for dropping in again to Mindship Podcast, Peter. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's been a long time. We've kind of missed uh, cross paths a couple of times. I know you've had a lot of stuff going on in your personal life, so I'm glad to see you're back in the game. Things hopefully are getting better and uh, it's kind of balancing things out, isn't it? Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it is good to be back and I'm Really appreciate the chance to talk to you again. We're talking about the Texas abortion law and what's happening with that. I know you've done some research and, and writing on what's going on behind the scenes, which a lot of this stuff isn't getting reported. But have you been keeping an eye on some of the other right wing stuff? Because I've, I've been talking to Jonathan Larson. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but he's over at the Young Turks, the TYT network. And he's been doing a lot of reporting on the family, the prayer breakfast, yeah. and a lot of stuff's come out on the family just of late on the tyt network they're doing a series which is really really good yeah they've been poking through a, a big document dump that they uh yes hands on and they've been doing some really great reporting with that yeah yeah what they got was the invitation list to the prayer breakfast and so they're starting to put the pieces together because of course it's a lot of it is kind of clandestine isn't it they don't want people to know one of the big things that just came out the other day was that i don't know if you saw that article but it turns out franklin graham has been one of the major funders of the prayer breakfast. And he obviously has not made that a public thing. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if any well, fallout is going to come off of that. Yeah. And that's just, that really uh, gives lie to this uh, perception that the prayer breakfast likes to promote about itself as this non-political, non-partisan thing. Mm -hmm. And Franklin Graham is hardcore political, uh, hardcore right-wing partisan. Mm -hmm. So, He's not just doing this uh, for his daddy's memory. That's not just humanitarian reasons, although he would say that promoting family values, of course, uh, he's very anti-LGBTQ, anti-Muslim, Islamophobic, and fundamentalist. So, yeah, that's an interesting development that's come out of that. But uh, this Texas abortion law, this is a really fascinating thing, isn't it? What about the timeline? I've been doing some research on this. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've got the dates basically down. So it turns out Governor Greg Abbott, who was, of course, a Republican Texas governor, signed the bill into law in late May of 2021. It was called Senate Bill 8, or they just call it SB 8, which wasn't supposed to take effect until September the 1st. But then just about, what was it, the 9th of September, the DOJ brought a, um, well, it wasn't a lawsuit. It was like an administrative stay, wasn't it? They said to put it on hold and let the courts examine the legality of it, the constitutionality of it. 
But then on the early, again, early October, about the 8th of October, the Fifth Circuit Court reinstated the law. And I think it's actually in effect right now, isn't it? But now the DOJ has called it unconstitutional. They're, they're referring it up to the Supreme Court. And I think that's kind of where it's sitting right now. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, that's right. A, a federal judge actually put a stay on the law to pre- prevent it from going into force. And uh, the Fifth Circuit really took an unusual step to um, intervene and throw out that judge's stay so that the law mm-hmm. could go into effect. And so the Supreme Court uh, declined to step in and reverse that action by the Fifth Circuit. So that's what, uh, you know, Sonia Sotomayor and Justice Sotomayor in dissent has really been, you know, vocal about the fact that this is this this catastrophic and and really pretty clearly unconstitutional law mm-hmm. that uh, the court is allowing to to go into effect and it's it's uh, having a very harmful effect on on women and and medical providers in Texas right now. It really is, and that's the thing about this law is that it's been able to skirt some of the legalities. I was reading an article in Reuters October eighth, and the article says, "quote The Texas abortion law, which took effect on September the first makes no exception for pregnancies caused by rape or incest. It also lets ordinary citizens enforce the ban, rewarding them at least $10,000 if they successfully sue anyone who helped provide an abortion after fetal cardiac activity is detected. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? That the That's how one of the reasons how they've been able to skirt the law in the sense that you're not suing the state of Texas because they're not the ones who are enforcing the law. It's private citizens which is crazy. Right. It's really it's really pernicious. I mean, so you know, basically this was came about because some anti-abortion lawyers were upset that mm-hmm. the support was rejecting abortion ban bills because they ran afoul of of, you know, Roe v. Wade and subsequent rulings from the Supreme Court. And so they said, "Well, we're going to get around this by saying that we're not going to let the state government enforce the abortion ban." Mm-hmm. So they put in a, so there's so they're trying to make it hard for people to sue the state or to say that this the state is acting unconstitutionally by banning abortion, and they are creating mm-hmm. this right of private action. And I've seen some pretty smart legal commentators looking for comparisons to this, going back to the fugitive slave laws, mm-hmm. when you know basically uh, Congress empowered vigilantes, you know, to try to uh, capture, you know, take freedom away from people who had managed to escape slavery. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, this is creating you know, the possibility for anybody to uh, legally uh, harass doctors, you know, medical clinics. And, and the law is so broadly, uh, it includes this very broad term about being able to sue anybody who aids or abets. Mm-hmm. And so you know, um, a friend who counsels someone into, uh, into getting an abortion, an Uber driver who takes him to the clinic, I mean, it's it's really it's a recipe for mayhem, and it's yeah. um, very draconian law, isn't it? Well, and what and what it suggests is <laughs> if if the courts justices, if the right wing justices on the court um, let Texas get away with this, then it means that Texas and other states who don't like other constitutional rights can create laws that violate those rights, and then you know privatize the enforcement of those unconstitutional laws. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it would be. I mean, it's hard to imagine how damaging that could be if the court would let that survive. States like Texas, you know, that are opposed to legal equality for gay people and for for Mm -hmm. same-sex marriage, you can see them passing unconstitutional bans on that and then sort of, again, saying the same thing. Well, 
we're not enforcing this. We're just saying that private citizens could sue mm-hmm. any clergy member who marries a same-sex couple. You know, and that's that's not as far-fetched as it might seem, because mm-hmm. the guy, the legal scholar who wrote this law and who came up with this theory, has uh, just argued in a brief to the Supreme Court on the Mississippi ban, which the court is going to hear on December first. Mm-hmm. In his brief, in that case, he said the court that uh, the court's rulings not only on marriage equality but overturning state sodomy laws were lawless rulings, and that the court should overturn those too. I was just about to bring that up. This is the other landmark case, isn't it? Dobbs versus Jackson's Women Health Organization. And that's going to be heard by the Supreme Court. And that's slightly different than the Texas law in that Texas, they say any fetal activity detected could be up to six weeks after the woman becomes pregnant. She most likely wouldn't even know she's pregnant. But that's I think right. Mississippi is something like 15 weeks, but it's it's a pretty draconian law as well. And it turns out there's about 12 states that have filed what they call trigger laws, which in either one of those laws, if they pass the, the Supreme Court, they'll trigger a whole, a whole spate of laws in those states as well. So this is just a landmark sort of legislation, isn't it? These, the Mississippi and the Texas law, it seems like. Yeah. And the Mississippi law uh, is kind of more in the tradition of the other sort of state bans. You know, the anti-choice lawyers and activists you know, decided several years ago that, uh, you know, they weren't going to, they were not likely to overturn Roe at the federal level. And so they had, they decided to, you know, explicitly do a state-by-state strategy to try to get states to pass ever more restrictive laws while Trump was turning the mm-hmm. courts right. So that their, their timing was, you know, they hoped that the courts would be pushed far enough to the right, that by the time these new state bans uh, could be passed and work their way through the courts, the Supreme Court would have people on it ready to overturn Roe. And that's mm-hmm. what they've done. You know, um, a couple years ago, I was at an Evangelicals for Life gathering and uh, lawyers for the Alliance Defense, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, yeah. ADF, um, the big religious right legal firm, they bragged about the fact that they wrote the Mississippi law and that it was part of the state-by-state strategy. And, you know, they chose 15 weeks as, as their ban specifically because that gets to before fetal viability, you know, which mm-hmm. is a legal standard that um, courts have relied on. So they, they specifically wanted to pass a law that would bypass that as a way to present a new issue and give the court uh, a new opportunity to reconsider and overturn Roe. And they, you know, they think with Trump's justices there, uh, they hope they've got the people in place who will do it. If the court uh, decides to use the Mississippi law to get rid of Roe, then states won't have to, you know, do these legal shenanigans like Texas is doing. They can just go back to criminalizing abortion. You know, mm-hmm. the Texas law was an attempt to get around the legal structure set up by Roe. So one way or another now, they've got two, they're working on two parallel tracks now mm-hmm. to try to get us uh, back to a point of view where where women don't have access. You mentioned this long-term strategy of putting conservative judges on not just the Supreme Court, although Trump was able to get three on there during his tenure, which is amazing anyway, isn't it? I mean, that most presidents don't even get to appoint one Supreme Court justice, let alone three, and conservative Catholics, all of them, I think. But this is the long-term strategy. I mean, outfits like the Federalist Society, they've been working at this a very, very long time, haven't they? This is how much of this, I guess, the question is, is this the dominionist sort of theocratic Christian nationalist piece? Because 
this is their long game, isn't it? They really want to, they know they have to stack the courts in order to overturn laws like Roe versus Wade, don't they? Yeah. And it's, I would say, you know, it's a real combination. And and right now, you know, in, in the Republican Party, the modern Republican Party, there's a lot of overlap between sort of the, you know, corporate anti-government, anti-regulation crowd that wants right-wing judges because they'll let businesses do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And the kind of, you know, culture warrior, dominionist crowd who wants the courts to enforce their biblical worldview. And so they hope they've got both of those in place. You know, Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's final judge, who was rushed onto the court literally days before voters with Trump. Last Um, second, literally. You know, she's been a paid speaker for ADF's Blackstone Legal Fellowship, which Mm -hmm. is all about, you know, inculcating this, um, uh, their version of a biblical worldview into law. You know, they have said they want to return to the Christendomic theology of the third, fourth, and fifth centuries. I mean, that's (laughs) that's pretty astonishing. So that's... uh, they're laying it right out there. They're not even going medieval. That's that's going right back, isn't it? <laughs> that is going back. Yeah, and you know, I think I think you really see this that that kind of overlap between um, you know the fact that the uh, the author of the law is also arguing that LGBTQ equality rulings should be overturned. There's there are certainly religious right groups that are hoping that right wing judges uh, will do that. But the state senator in Texas who sort of pushed this law through. You know, also is the state senator who pushed through the new voter suppression law in Texas and who um, helped push through new law, basically banning teaching about racism under the uh, guise of protecting students from critical race theory. Mm-hmm. So all these all these uh, right wing efforts to they're all intermingled now. These are not really separate movements. They're pretty mm-hmm. much all overlapping. And we see that with the campaign against school boards now, where the school board rallies that are about one thing. Also, if it's about people who don't like critical race theory, they also have speakers that are opposing um, LGBT inclusive policies. Or if it's a rally that's opposed to mask mandates, they're also talking about um, indoctrinating kids about racism. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. all, it's all um, these different propaganda campaigns that are being put to the same purpose which is to um, helping right-wing politicians get and hold on to power. Well, and we know this is another recruitment opportunity for homeschooling, Christian homeschooling. I've got an article coming out in the Public Eye Journal, hopefully in a couple of days as we're doing this recording, but it's all about the Christian right pushing homeschooling as a means to avoid vaccinations, critical race theory. They're saying, look, if you don't want to get your kids vaccinated, then you can homeschool them. That's a legal loophole in many states. I know this isn't about the Texas abortion law, but as you say, it's bringing that sort of, you know, worldview into uh, issues that have been heavily politicized, like CRT, the anti-vax movement, anti-mask movement, and all that. And it is all connected. And then, and, you know, because I will look forward to your article, because as, Mm. you know, I don't know, your listeners may not know as well as you do that, you know, homeschooling, the curriculum for homeschooling is dominated by dominionist Christian exactly. Yeah, reconstructionist. So the more effort, um, the effort to push more and more kids into homeschooling, you know, that's something that started right away during COVID and all these other campaigns that are meant to sow distrust about public education are all in furtherance of this, you know, long-term idea that, you know, they want to divert money from public education into to paying for things like um, Dominionist homeschool curriculum. Uh, so they can sort of raise up the next generation of of warriors for um, you know what they call biblical worldview. 
And that was, of course, Rush Dooney's view, wasn't it? Why he was so passionate about helping Christian schools and homeschooling get off the ground in the 70s and the 80s, because that was his absolute dominionist vision, like you just articulated, raising up generations of godly children equipped with a biblical worldview such that they become a, a majority in society and they will just simply take over eventually. There's going to be so many of them. And that's why you have places like Patrick Henry College, Michael Ferris, and all these other organizations, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. That's their sort of dominionist agenda, isn't it? That's the long game. And they're trying to get people into politics. I mean, Patrick Henry has interns that worked in the Trump White House. They work for Supreme Court justices, conservative politicians. So they are walking the corridors of power right now. I mean, Madison Cawthorn, he's a poster boy. I know he wasn't an alumni of Patrick Henry. He lasted about a semester before he got drummed out for sexual assault allegations, but he's the guy. He's a homeschool graduate. Yeah, and just to uh, to demonstrate how interconnected these things all are, the guy who built uh, Christian homeschooling into a political movement and who really made it a political thing was Mike Ferris, mm-hmm. who um, you know really turned the Homeschool Legal Defense Association into sort of kingmakers in the Republican Party. And He's now the head of ADF. So right. he he sort of expanded from um, having homeschooling as his fiefdom to now having the whole uh, Christian right legal movement and its agenda as uh, as his fiefdom. Yeah, Mike and, Ferris and is ADF, a big player. By the way, ADF has has funded uh, the law firm, the author of the Texas you know abortion bill strategy. So right, so they're in bed thing. together. So who's behind, going back to the Texas abortion law, who's behind it? Because I've seen some names that I think you mentioned maybe in an article or maybe one of our chats on Twitter that there's an organization called Texas Right to Life. What are what are they about? Who are they in this story? Because I heard something that they've actually set up a hotline. No, no um, legal cases have been filed yet, but Texas Right to Life has set up a hotline for people to report women who've had abortions or people who assisted them in having an abortion and I don't know if anything's come of that, but were they part of this uh, movement to start this law, to get this law off the ground? I don't know how much they were in on the strategy for this particular law. They certainly have been part of the you know, push forever, increasing restrictions on abortion in Texas for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they are the local affiliate of National Right to Life, which uh, you know is active and has, has affiliates in all the states that are pushing these bans. So they're intimately involved in that. And this particular take on a Texas abortion ban started in a Texas city that tried it and they got a lot of attention for it. And then it has just, it has built from there. Mm-hmm. And, so and, uh, where did it start then? It was, it was a smaller town in Texas. They kind of trialed it and modeled it, see if it, it would work. Texas, it was a town in Texas that didn't even have an abortion clinic. <laughs> right. They were, they were afraid, apparently, it's on the border, and I forget if it's on that border, maybe of Louisiana, and they were afraid that uh, Louisiana might pass a ban, and that was going to um, force, maybe maybe a clinic would cross the border mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and open up there. And so, or maybe it was Arkansas, I'm not sure which, but they, so that city hired as a lawyer, the guy who wrote the Texas law, and he started off writing them a law, and then they got excited about it. Hey, look what we did. Mm-hmm. And they start shopping that around to Texas and shopping it around to Texas legislators like the state senator, uh, Brian Hughes, who I mentioned earlier, who's kind of really uh, led the charge in the legislative session recently on the on the right wing wish list. And mm-hmm. so he he was involved in helping the city pass its law. And then he 
once they did it and they convinced those city officials that it was a, a great way for them to pass this law without getting sued, the same way the state now is trying to say this is this is an abortion ban that's not really abortion ban, so you can't sue us because it mm. doesn't ban abortion. It just says that you can sue people who do abortions. So that mm. started in a, at the city level and now has been taken to state level. And if other states are ready to jump in, as you mentioned, if the if the court blesses this strategy, which um, again, it's it would be just so far reaching and the impact of states being able to just pass laws that blatantly violate constitutional rights and avoid any kind of court review by privatizing the enforcement of those laws, it's just, it's astonishing. It's really terrifying. It absolutely is. And yet that's the situation in America right now. Here we are in the end of October 2021, and we're actually contemplating that this could become a reality, as you say, based on the fact that Trump was able to get three conservative Catholics to the, on the Supreme Court bench. Well, as you say, Amy Coney Barrett had a known track record of being anti-abortion and pro sort of Christian nationalist, even though she's a Catholic, you know, so this is, it's actually a thing. <laughs> I'm having a hard time getting my head around the fact that this could actually happen. I mean, what's your prediction? Do you think that the Supreme Court is going to uphold the Texas law? You know, I I, I just have no idea. I, I don't feel like I can even predict that. You know, mm. I think and I hear these arguments on November 1st, they've already let the law go into effect. So they clearly don't feel that they're, I mean, they've they've rushed to consider this, but they don't feel so such a rush that they stayed the law. And they may decide that they'll just hear the Mississippi law. And if they're inclined to get rid of Roe, they can just do it directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they'll have these two cases before them means they might have a lot of options. And, you know, these people are also political in the sense that they know that most Americans don't want to overturn Roe. Most Americans, and you wouldn't believe it from the, listen to the anti-choice movement, but most Americans think that abortion should be legal in all or most circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the majority does believe it. So, so it. these two laws uh, give the right-wing justices, you know, wiggle room to try to carve out things where they can basically eliminate the right to choice in any meaningful way, but to say uh, that technically they haven't overturned Roe, but they haven't eliminated it. And so, you know, we've seen that happen already over the years where the right has been chipped away at and states have been allowed to impose other restrictions. It's possible that the justices might do the same thing and just go even further and make the right uh, meaningless for women, essentially meaningless for people who need this health care, but technically say they're not overturning Roe. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's possible they'll do something like that. Or it's possible that they'll just feel like, you know, this is the time they've got the they've got the justices to do mm-hmm. it. They might just do it. And uh, yeah, let the chips way, fall where they may. You know, whatever they do, I think it's not going to be good. That's for, for sure. People who need help, who need this health care. Well, and the other question that I have is how much of this is tied to Christian nationalism? I mentioned that earlier. Okay, so you could say under this rubric of so-called family values, in air quotes, that's their sort of umbrella term. And under that umbrella, you could put abortion, LGBTQ rights, and many other things. And they would say, well, the bottom line is the Bible says that a man and a woman, that's that's a traditional marriage with children. So therefore, same-sex marriage is obviously against God's law and against the Bible, and abortion is, is against God's law and against the Bible because you're depriving the world of another child who could be you know, raised in that homeschooling environment, a Christian worldview. And so 
they say, well, look, God is not blessing America anymore because we've allowed such corporate sins as same-sex marriage and abortion and all the rest of it. If we could just put a stop to those things, we could return to that Christian nation. We could be that Christian nation again, and God will start blessing us. I mean, are you hearing that kind of language around any of this, uh, certainly the Texas abortion law? Uh, I don't know if I've seen it uh, too much just yet, but certainly the whole the whole movement is infused with that. You know, the mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the one of the reasons that the the Christian right was so you know so committed, intensely committed to trying to get Trump reelected, because he had already named uh, hundreds of judges they thought were aligned with them, in addition to the su- three Supreme Court justices. You know, so all the rallies, all these Christian nationalist rallies they had. Uh, last fall going into the election were all about, um, you know, Trump being God's instrument who was going to do away with abortion in America and that that would open the doors to revival, you know, that Americans needed to repent and do that. You know, one of the interesting things about Amy Coney Barrett, there was a group of of Christian nationalists of the, of, of the Dominionist, you know, apostolic and prophetic mm-hmm. crowd who were so convinced she was God's chosen instrument to do away with Roe, that when the earlier candidacy came up, the one that the nomination that went to Brett Kavanaugh, there were some Christian right people who were furious at Trump for naming Kavanaugh instead of uh, Amy Coney Barrett because they were so sure that she had been um, anointed by God. Mm-hmm. And they actually called Kavanaugh a usurper. <laughs> right. uh, it was her time. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, I think, I think Trump, quite frankly, and his strategist, were waiting to have Barrett replace Ginsburg because they thought um, having a woman replace a woman would be better optics for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, rather than replacing uh, Ginsburg with some white guy, they could uh, replace her with another woman. And I, and I think that's why they waited. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we'll see what she does. It's amazing. I know we've talked about this before, that when Amy Coney Barrett was going through her nomination process, it seemed like nobody really pushed her on the religious Catholic Christian nationalist angle, did they? I mean, they were talking about other a- aspects of her judicial career and so forth, but it was like nobody wanted to go there, it seemed like. Did that kind of strike you at the time? Yeah, I think I think senators are very leery about uh, going down that road, partly because they don't know how to do it well, that they mm-hmm. don't feel really conversant in the activities. And so, you know, sometimes then they say clumsy things that the right just jumps all over. You know, Senator Feinstein made a comment about uh, the dogma, you know, living in Amy Coney Barrett. And when she was up you know, for her earlier court appointment and the religious right jumped all over that, you know, trying to smear any senator who raises these issues as enemies of religious freedom, enemies of faith. Mm-hmm. And so I think they've, they have pretty successfully pushed back a lot of Democratic senators from wanting to wade into the religious liberty issues because they don't feel comfortable enough to really do it in a way that they're uh, sure they're not going to stumble mm-hmm. um, because there's so much right-wing media and right-wing politicians ready to jump on anybody who raises these questions. You know, even when you're talking to someone like uh, the questions to Coney Barrett were about something she had written. You know, She had specifically written yeah. about judges when they have to weigh their Catholic faith versus the teachings of the church and the law. And so it was totally appropriate, certainly, to ask her about that. But I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's why, uh, you know, religious liberty questions in general, they're hard to deal with. You know, it's hard for political reporters who aren't, 
you know, who may not be real familiar with religion or the law and religious liberty, you know, sometimes get it wrong when they're writing about these issues. And, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's tough. Well, and it seems too that nobody really pushed her on the whole issue of the, her involvement with the children of God or the, the people of God, isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking the That's children the of God, that's a different cult, but the people of God, that's another whole thing. I read a lot of articles when she was uh, being nominated about the people of God, and it seems like a very strange group. People of praise, is that what it is? Praise. I actually yeah, sort of forget a, the name of that, but um, it's a Catholic yeah, it's sort of thing. charismatic think, group. Yeah, and I think it's you know it is it's hard. I, I I think it's true that we don't want public officials interrogating people about their <clears> religious <throat> beliefs. You know, I'm firmly a believer that the Constitution has no religious test for public office. And the religious right is usually the ones trying to impose that kind of, of test or defend that kind of test. And so I think that's why that's another reason it's it, it's hard to have these conversations. But she's certainly the person they wanted on the bench, as you say, along with the other conservatives. The question is, yeah, will the Texas law, as well as the Mississippi one, I think yeah, that's the one that's coming up first, isn't it? Mississippi is coming up in just well, actually, a few weeks. Here, one, the Texas one got put on an expedited thing. But I think so the Texas law is going to be heard on November 1st. But I think that's just more about the procedural questions about mm -hmm. this new regime and and how it should be evaluated. I think the I think that's going to be November first, and then I think December first is the uh, actual hearing on the Mississippi law that'll really confront Roe uh, much more directly. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll see what happens. I was going to say this is kind of off the subject, but. Did you see that article that came out in The Atlantic just the other day talking about the influence of Trumpism and QAnon on evangelicalism? Is by Peter Weiner. Really interesting about the evangelical church is breaking apart. And he says that there are now more vocal small groups within big mega churches and evangelical churches that are sort of like bringing their political and conspiracy theory stance into the church. They're running pastors out. They're turning people against them. You know, so this is the legacy, isn't it, of the not only the Trump era, but just this whole dominionist piece, the Q QAnon conspiracy theory. What is going on in the evangelical church today? Yeah, no, I think all those things are going on. I think it is. There has been a you know long and strident movement to basically uh, convince uh, evangelicals that their faith is you know the equivalent of the Republican Party platform. You know, Trump and others sort of pushing and embracing the Q conspiracy crowd just pushed people further out onto those edges. And, you know, the you know pastors who are all caught up in opposing public health restrictions uh, based, you know, on trying to restrict the spread of COVID, they turned that into a conspiracy theory and basically mm -hmm. told, you know, if your pastor is not um, defying those restrictions, you know, he's no good, go to a church that, that you know, uh, like Greg Locke. You know, they have managed to conflate in the minds of a lot of people refusing to take a vaccine with defending Christianity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just, that's just how politicized things have got. And, and you know, you have, you know, right wing pastors, you know, telling people explicitly, if your church isn't doing this and that, it's not a real Christian church. You go mm -hmm. find a pastor who's bold and, and willing to fight this tyranny. So, yeah, there's a lot of that. It's a on. thing. Well, and I've read in that article, you know, he talked to people who, pastors, I should say, ex-pastors who either quit the ministry or would run out of their church because, as you say, they tried to make a stand. Like you said, the mask mandates are helping to encourage people to take the vaccine, and groups of people would turn against them and run them out of the church. 
and people are quitting the ministry in droves again. I mean, it's always been a thing, hasn't it? But as an ex-pastor myself, you know, I think, man, <laughs> I wouldn't last for sure five minutes. I'd be out of there. <laughs> and it, it is interesting, too, because when you think how there was for a long time, you know, we had uh, the Cold War against Russia, and that kind of defined a lot of this. And mm-hmm. and um, sort of atheistic communism was the big threat. But we've come around to that now because the right defines socialism. They put this socialist label on everything mm-hmm. and the Marxist label on everything they're not. So they say that, uh, you know, mask requirements and vaccine requirements are examples of, you know, Marxist tyranny. Mm-hmm. And the race theory is Marxism and communism infiltrating into the classrooms. And so, again, they sort of have created this, this narrative this, that it's Christianity versus atheistic socialism. You know, that label gets applied to everything that, that they don't like, you know, whether it's teaching about racism or taking down Confederate monuments or trying to control the spread of a deadly virus or, you know, trying to uh, make voting more accessible. Mm-hmm. Well, it all gets kind of slapped by our current both right wing politicians and, and religious right folks as, uh, you know, atheistic, socialist, Marxist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever you know, label you want to put on all it. All those labels. Well, and look at the Republican Party. As you mentioned, I've read articles now they're saying, look, if you're a Republican running for office going forward in 2021 or 2022, you have to embrace the big lie, Trump's big lie. That's kind of become a litmus test of whether or not either Trump's going to support you or the Republicans in your state voting for you for this office, whatever you're running for. That's the first question people are asking now. Did Trump, you know, did he lose the election? Was it stolen from him? Was it a rigged election? If you agree, then I'm going to vote for you. And if you don't, I'm not going to vote for you. Yeah. And and people like Steve Bannon, you know, one of Trump's mm-hmm. political henchmen, you know, he is very clear. You know, his fight is more against non-Trumpers Republicans than it is against Democrats. And he mm. is waging war on anybody in the Republican Party who supported impeachment or who even voted uh, in favor of the January 6th commission. You know, all those folks immediately get labeled as traitors. And so, yeah, you're definitely seeing uh, attacks on on Republicans who have tried to stand up to Trump and, and Trumpism in, in any way. And I, th- I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how it plays out. You know, polling suggests that there are a lot of Republicans who still embrace, um, you know, QAnon conspiracies and certainly some of these other things. And, you know, in Virginia, you've got uh, Trump with a smile. Glenn Youngkin is running for governor, and uh, he's tried to play it both ways. He's tried to convince, mm-hmm. he's tried to sort of convince, you know, suburbanites and moderates that he's just this competent businessman, uh, non-politician. But on the other hand, then he goes and he's, you know, he's just embracing all of Trump's conspiracy theories. He's making this huge campaign deal out about the supposed threat of critical racism in the schools and that he's going to ban it on day one as governor. So it's, you know, and that's going to, that's a close race. It's worth watching. And we've said it many times. I'm sure you've said it too, that this is the real danger. Isn't it? Someone who's more of a demagogue than Trump was, who's smarter, who actually has an ideology. That's the real concern, isn't it? That the next guy who comes along or woman who comes along not going to be a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a uh, Lauren Boebert or whatever like that because they're too much they're too much into the conspiracy theories, aren't they? But it's it they're still gaining a following. People like them. That's right. So right. we have to watch out for that. Well, I know we kind of went round and round a little bit. We started with the Texas abortion law, but it is all related, isn't it? Somehow, it's all, it's all linked together. 
It's all a big toxic mess. Well, listen, Peter, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed, certainly on the Texas abortion law and some of the other stuff that's going on. We'll definitely, we're not going to wait this long uh, to, to meet up again. We have Great. to keep in touch with the right wing for sure. So thank you so much. I was going to say, how can people find you on social media? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, they can uh, follow me on Twitter at, at Pete Mont, or also can follow me and my colleagues at Right Wing Watch. Mm-hmm. And I know you've got... So all kinds of articles always coming out. I love the Right Wing Watch YouTube channel. I'm glad to see that it's back on the air. Had a little bit yes. of a, a, an issue a couple months ago, didn't it? That was the weirdest band. You know, they're like, you're put, putting on conspiracy. Th- no, we're showing these people talking about conspiracy. Why are we getting banned? You should be going after them, for God's sake. Uh, that was so weird. Yeah, fortunately, that's cleared up. YouTube algorithms, I guess, that caught you up. But you're back in the game. So thank you so much, Peter. I will uh, look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks. Take care.